Hey, good evening, everybody. Man, I'm excited to be out tonight, and I'm glad that you are here. Those of you that are new tonight, it was great to meet a few of you before the service, and I'm sorry that I didn't get around to say hello to everybody, but please, before you leave tonight, make sure that you know the people around you and that you make plans to be back next week because we want to see you here week after week as we are going through the Bible from cover to cover, not on the weekends, but throughout our daily reading. You guys are doing good with your reading plan. I'm watching you online and seeing those of you that are checking those off and posting your thoughts as you're reading. I'm just so excited for you and what you're accomplishing in that. Tonight, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 as we take a look at one of those concepts, one of those ideas when it comes to following Christ that is a deal breaker for some people. Uh, maybe it was a deal breaker for you at one time. Maybe tonight you come and you're not for sure about this one thing that God asks of you. And tonight I hope to not convince you because that's not my responsibility, but I hope tonight to open up God's word for you that you can see and that you can say yes to that desire that he put inside of you when he created you in that secret place that you will choose tonight to surrender to him. You see, surrender by the world's definition evokes unpleasant images, right? Like waving a white flag, quitting, forfeiting, losing or giving up. By the time we're in our 30s, we've, we've already associated surrender with divorce or tax liens, guardianship of children, being arrested, embarrassed, a terminal diagnosis, well, whatever it is, there's a whole bucket of experiences that we would rather put behind us and surrender has gotten attached to that at one place or another. Yet at the heart of being firmly rooted in a relationship with God, and that's what we're talking about in this series, is what it means to set down your roots, the roots of your life, the way that you think, the things that you're going to consider when you make choices in life, like who you're going to marry, who you're going to plant with and share life with, whether you're going to be part of a church family or go it alone. At the heart of being firmly rooted in a relationship with God is a reality, and that reality is surrender. Because living surrender isn't simply the best way to live According to God's word, it's the only way to live. All other approaches, you want a relationship with God without surrender? All other approaches to God lead to frustration. They lead to disappointment. They lead to disillusionment. Yet surrendering your life to God isn't an emotional impulse. It's not one of those things that happens when you love a song. Or when you feel good all over and tingly. It isn't an emotional impulse, but it is a logical, rational, and intelligent act. In fact, the most responsible and sensible thing that you can do in your life is to surrender your life to God. But sometimes it takes years. 
Sometimes it takes years before we eventually discover that the wisest moment of our life is that moment that we say yes to him. In the book of Romans, 11 chapters, the apostle Paul spends explaining to us why we can trust God, why we should say yes to him, the extravagance of his love, the boundless nature of his grace, the unmerited favor of his mercy poured out to us through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, it practically jumps off the page at us when he says, in view of all of this, the rational, intelligent choice, he says, is to offer ourselves to God, to surrender ourselves to him. Now, with all that in mind, I want us to look at an example that most people wouldn't go to in God's word. But that's one of the fun things about this year and the way that we're approaching this series is we're going to pick some illustrations from God's word that normally aren't associated with these concepts because God's word speaks way beyond a man's ability to put something out there for you. And so we're going to let God's word speak to you tonight through great definition about our understanding in God's of what it is to offer our lives to him. And that's in Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 36. A familiar account for those of you who've attended here over the last several years. This account takes place after John the Baptist has been arrested he sends word to Jesus, how do I know that you're the one? And Jesus replies, this is how you know the lame can walk, the blind can see, the deaf can hear. And in chapter 7, Jesus has been surrounded all day by crowds and he goes to a Pharisee's house by the name of Simon. Verse 40, 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. My favorite, my favorite way to eat dinner. Not on the bar stool that cuts your circulation off because it sits up a little bit higher. Not at the dining room table where the dog can jump up on the table, right? If somebody turns their head, the dog's right there getting your food. But reclining, right? Put the feet out. And that's what Jesus did. That, that's why I love being a Christ follower. He does so many cool things. <laughs> but the way they sat at the table was kind of like this, right? You kind of hold your chin up and shovel it in. and Your feet are right out there. It all flows so much more smoothly that way. Jesus is reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life. Don't you love it? Your reputation follows you everywhere. And that's not always a bad thing because a good reputation will follow you everywhere as well. But this woman didn't have a good reputation. She had lived a sinful life as if everyone else doesn't live a sinful life. She had lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. Verse 39 says that when Simon, the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, now listen, those of you who think these things in your mind, this should warn you right here to be careful what you think because Jesus sees and hears it all. He began to think to himself, this man, Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. He didn't say a word out loud. And what's Jesus do? He answers him. Simon, I got something to tell you. Now, I would have just called him out right there. I got to tell you, I, I would just called him out right there. But Jesus is so much kinder than I am. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 days wages and the other 50. Verse 42 says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So the money lender forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will be the most grateful? Which one of them will love the money lender more? Simon replied, being as smart as he was, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for leading us here today to this opportunity to hear your word and examine our lives and be encouraged by others who are seeking you and most of all to seek you out for ourselves. Thank you for your word that speaks of you and your ways and the life that is ours when we surrender to your word and your ways over our own. May you grant us clarity and wisdom and peace as we continue to set roots where you have directed us to, deep into the solid ground of your word. We thank you for your love and grace that draws us to obedience. We love you, and we're learning to love you more, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want to tell you about surrender. And the first is this. There is a moment of surrender, and then there is the practice of surrender. All right? There are moments of surrender, and then there is a life 
surrendered, a life that is practicing surrender daily. I don't mean practicing as in rehearsing. I mean practicing as in living it out. It's our daily, daily action. The sinful woman in Luke's account experienced both. Now, just a moment ago, as we bowed our heads, as we hopefully focused our minds, and if we shared in this prayer, in this moment, it was a moment of surrender. Now, your life and mine, our moments are filled with moments such as these, moments when we temporarily grant access to what God is saying to us, what God is directing to us, what God is doing. We allow it in that moment to either enter our consciousness or not. We instantaneously decide if we will allow that access to continue, if we're going to shut it down. Now, we do that by interrupting it. We, we do that by switching our thoughts and going right on to something else. But my point is, is that this is either a moment, moment reality for us in that we allow God access to us or it's an every moment, every thought, reality, the practice of surrender. This woman, I submit to you, went from a moment to complete surrender. At the very core of our makeup, there are barriers that block our complete surrender to the moments that God grants us with him. And those barriers are three categories. The first is fear. Fear, fear is a barrier that blocks our complete surrender to God. The second is pride. And the third is our need to control outcomes. That makes trust an essential element for surrender. We either trust God with our fears or we don't. We either surrender our pride or we don't. We either trust God with the control of the outcomes of our life or we keep control. Luke describes this moment between this woman and Jesus with some detail. He sets it up for us this way. He tells us, Luke tells us, that she is a sinful woman in a room full of self-righteous people. You see, that's what a Pharisee was. The Pharisee was the religious of the religious. Now, I would say that not all Pharisees were snobs. Just like all Christians aren't hypocrites. Some are, some aren't. But when he speaks of a Pharisee, almost always, if not always in Scripture, he also refers to them as hypocrites. He also refers to them as whitewashed tombs, meaning that they worry about how they look, but on the inside they are dead, 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 as Brandon would say, spiritually dead. Now, in particular, a man by the name of Simon, who was a self-righteous Pharisee, is the one who owned the house. It was his party. 
He decided the guest list. However, culture in that day dictated that when you had an important person in your house, one of the cool things to do to show off who you are is to leave the door open so the common folk could come in and watch in the gallery and see who you're entertaining and who is a guest of your house. And so Simon, he left the door open. But Simon has his own fear. Simon has his own pride, and Simon certainly has a desire to control the outcomes in his life. And his way of dealing with this fear, maintaining his pride, was to be in total control of the room, and that becomes very obvious quickly. So here she is. I submit to you that she was in somewhat of a hostile environment. But Jesus isn't surprised by her presence. In fact, just as your presence is expected tonight, Jesus expected her that night. In fact, he leans into her. How do I know that? Well, well, I know that because of her response. It's the same response that many in this room have. I, I talked to a person this past week, just gave them a call because when they came up to communion, there were tears in their eyes. And they're like, oh, I wanted to compose myself before I came up there. I'm like, why? Why? It's okay. I see many tears in the room, especially when it's five minutes past lunch on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Perhaps he smiles at her. But whatever it is, she has a moment standing behind him while, she, while he's reclined at the table, and she becomes emotional. She gets a lump in her throat. Tears start streaming down her cheeks, so much so that they fall on his feet. And she doesn't know how to handle the situation. He's the guest. He's the reason the door was left open to the house. And here she is crying on his feet and then she loses all composure and she lets her hair down something that women in that culture didn't do she kisses his feet she cracks open and, and, and the only reason why I know this because someone smarter than me set the details for these things you don't have to know these things to get the gist of this but that bottle of perfume <coughs> She wore that probably in a little vial around her neck. It was probably the most valuable thing that she owned. Probably something passed down. She cracked that open. She put it on his feet. And you girls know that hair, long hair, short hair is the least absorbent material in the room. Why, why wouldn't she use her own robe that was plenty long enough to wipe his feet off. Why, why did she grab a towel or something, wipe his feet off? Instead, she took her hair down and she took that nard, she rubbed it into his feet. She kissed his feet and she used her hair, the softest thing, to gently spread that beautiful scent over him and over her. I want you to go there with me for, for just a moment. If God's definition of surrender is that we offer ourselves to him, what is it that she's offering right now? 
Notice she's offering to him her fear. It took courage to enter that house. Most of us, I wouldn't. If I know that I'm going to be looked down on someplace, the last place that I want to go is to that place. I wouldn't have gone. And truth is, you wouldn't either. It's why many people sit in the parking lot on the weekend before they dare come in this room because not only the accusers whispering to them, they don't even know who the accuser is yet, but their experiences from the past are certainly shouting, you're different than the people in there. What if they know? She offered him her fear. When those tears started to fall and she opened up herself to him a little bit more, she surrendered her fear again and didn't get up and run out of the room. What fearful moment have you offered to Jesus of late? Because that is surrender. And that is the surrender that God requires of us who are planting ourselves in him. I want you to notice that she surrendered her pride. Something triggered tears. They rolled off her cheek onto the guest of honor. And at this point, she's on her knees wiping his dirty feet with her hair. Now, she can't hear what Simon's thinking, but if he was a grunter like anybody grunt, I, I'm, I'm a grunter. And I, I was in a meeting the other day and I had to just say that that grunt wasn't for you because the guys, they interpret my grunts and they start getting really uncomfortable sometimes. I get uncomfortable too sometimes when I'm in the room. He didn't have to say a word. She knew what he was thinking. And Jesus knew what he was thinking. But we'll get to that in a minute. <coughs> but for this woman in this moment, no one else mattered in the room. And that's what it means when you and I surrender our pride to Jesus. No one else matters. That's why Bigelow and I, that's why some of you like to sit up front because when you're sitting up front, no one else in the room matters. <laughs> one, you can't hear yourself sing, which is a glorious thing. <laughs> but in the back, you know what I'm saying, you guys that sit in the back. Everybody knows what each other's doing in the back. When it comes to controlling the outcome of that moment, she places the outcome at Jesus' feet literally. When she anoints his feet with it. Wow, I wish I could offer myself like that to Jesus. Everything. Now some of you have heard the religious say of certain moments in life, just lay it at the foot of the cross. Anybody ever heard that said? Just take your anxiety, just take your fears, just take that past Take that broken relationship right now that you're going through and you just lay it at the feet of Jesus as if it's all going to go away. As if everything's going to be better the next day. Show me. 
show me that's how it works. Because that's not how it works. People say things like, just lay it at the foot of the cross. What does that mean? This is what it means. What we're seeing happen in the life of this woman, we are seeing it played out right before our eyes. It means that we offer our situation, our fear, our pride, our control of the outcome. We offer our situation and our circumstance. We offer it to him and we say, God, you have your will with this and I'm not running off. It's not just a drop and run. You see, we've totally misunderstood it. When we surrender it to Jesus, when we lay it at the cross, what we're saying is, I surrender my ways, I surrender my will, I surrender control, I surrender my fear, I surrender my pride, and I trust you with it. And sometimes we gotta stay there and sit in it. And that's what this woman did. You see, when we think we can just magically drop it off, we wonder why in the world three weeks later we're circling right back. Because it was never meant to throw it off. It was meant to trust him with it, surrender it with him. It's like forgiveness. Sometimes it's 70 times seven. We have to keep handing it over. And in order to hand it over, that means we gotta be right there with him, side by side. Whatever we lay at his feet, we are literally right there in the middle of it. The difference is, is that he is there with us, just as he was there with her. Now let's pause there for a minute and let's look at Simon. His life and lack of surrender is in stark contrast to the sinful woman's. Jesus turns his attention to Simon in verse 44, and he's very specific. Simon, Simon, this is your house. S Simon, you invited me here to your house, and yet you have offered me nothing. You've surrendered nothing to me. You didn't wash my feet. And that's basic hospitality 101 back in this culture. And it's still basic hospitality today. When you meet somebody at the door and you give them your full attention, how can I make you comfortable? Would you like a drink? You sit right here. Oh, is that your chair? Yeah, that's where I usually sit. You sit right there. Simon, you didn't wash my feet. Why? Because instead of viewing Jesus as the honored guest, Simon viewed himself as the one to be honored. You didn't put oil on my head, Simon. This woman has not only washed my feet with her tears, but she's put oil, she's put nard, she's put perfume on my dirty feet. You can't. You can see it, can't you, Simon? Simon's fear was that he himself wouldn't be honored. Simon's pride, he protected at all costs. Control of the outcome, Simon wanted to be in charge of every detail that afternoon. Because for him, Jesus was only a guest speaker. And Jesus explains the reason why. The reason why Simon acted this way 
It's because that was a revelation of Simon's heart. He was that way. Simon had surrendered or offered nothing to Jesus because he didn't see the need to offer anything. He was the opposite of what it is to be surrendered to God. The opposite of surrender is to base our life on what we can achieve on our own. It's the exact opposite of God's desire and command for our life. We, we as God's created, remember, we aren't the creator, but we as God's creator were created to glorify him, not ourselves. We exist to exalt him. The creation does not exalt itself. And Jesus explains a parable to Simon and us in verse 40. Seeing what Simon was thinking, Jesus said, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. I can hear the sarcasm in his voice. Can you hear the sarcasm in your voice sometimes? <laughs> Those moments when you're in the middle of one of life's situations and you're doing your dead level best to deny staying at the foot of the cross in that situation. All you want to do is drop it off there. You say you're laying at his feet, but then you get up and you run away and fall right into another mess. So Simon, Jesus tells Simon the story in verse 41. He said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 day's wages, the other 50. Neither one of them had the money, right? We just heard the story. Neither one of them had the ability to repay the debt. And so the one that they owed the debt to canceled the debts of both. And then Jesus looks at him, now which one will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And I imagine about this time, Simon's looking at Jesus like, you're really wasting my time here. He doesn't get it. Do you? Well, it depends on what you've surrendered to Jesus and what you've offered to him and what you haven't. See, Simon has no idea what it's like to have a debt forgiven because he doesn't see himself indebted to anyone. See, for him, for him, all he needed to do was to look good, to offer a couple sacrifices at the temple, to recite a few passages of Scripture. But when it really came to trusting God, no. But the woman... She understands her debt. She understands her sinfulness. She understood that Jesus was the only one who could cover the debt. And in that moment, in that room, having surrendered her pride and her fear and the control of her outcome, she experienced the fullness of what Jesus Christ came to do. And that is forgiveness, healing, wholeness, and restoration. Is it starting to make sense? One didn't recognize their debt, which was forgiven. The other recognized their debt, which was forgiven. And because they entrusted the one who forgave the debt, she's going to trust him more. 
And Simon's still standing there wondering who the other debtor was in Jesus' parable. In that moment, in verse 48, Jesus' eyes leave Simon and they return to her and he affirms the reality that through her surrender, the most important thing that could happen for her did. Her sins were forgiven. And in verse 50, it says that her faith saved her. Her faith. Her faith. Yes, it's by faith that we offer and surrender ourselves and our lives and our sin and our pride and our fear and our control. It's by faith. Certain of what we hope for, but yet it's so unseen. We don't just dump them and walk away, but we walk through it with him in the lead. Simon, he had no faith. He had religion. He had rules. He had works. And even though Jesus forgave him just as he did this woman, Simon was unwilling to truly offer himself to God. You see, the greatest hindrance to God's blessing in your life, it isn't other people. It's you. It's your self-will, it's your stubborn pride, it's your desire to control life's outcomes. And so if God's going to do his deepest work in you, what does that mean? It means that you have to let him in. It means that you have to surrender it all to him. Your past regrets, your present problems, your habits and your hang-ups and your fears and your pride and, and yes, control. Someone said nothing. Nothing under God's control can ever be out of control. Mastered by Christ, you can handle anything. Now, that someone was the Apostle Paul who had a moment of surrender that turned into a practice of surrender, a life of surrender. And he's the one who wrote Philippians 4.13. He says, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. That is, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. You might remember the NIV. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I like the amplified version because it addresses our fear and it addresses our pride and it addresses our need to control. Don't miss Jesus' final three words to this woman. Go in peace. <laughs> Go in peace. It's the greatest outcome of surrender to God. Peace with God, peace with self, complete assurance that the final outcome is in his hands. It's the why of surrender. Why surrender? Because we can have peace. We surrender all that we are to God, trusting that he's sufficient for all that we need. The most important of which is forgiveness. 
of our sin debt. My friends, don't let the idea of surrender keep you from God. Instead, may it draw you to him. May it cause you to set roots deep in him. Offer him everything and listen. You offer him everything and he will hand it back to you whole and complete. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we could demand anything. <laughs> we could demand anything in this life. And I'm convinced, Father, that you would grant most of it. <laughs> and Father, the reality is, is you could demand anything from us as our creator. And instead of demanding, you offer us everything through your son, Jesus Christ. You offer us peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, life to the full, eternal life with you. If only we would recognize that offering our lives to you, surrendering our all to you, isn't a sign of defeat. But it truly is the most sensible and responsible thing to do with all that you've entrusted to us. Our circumstances, our wealth, our relationships, our health, to place it in your hands and to say, lead me. Receive our praise, Father, through our surrender. We love you and we trust you with it all. It's in the name of Jesus, the one who surrendered it all to open the way for us that we pray. It's in his name. We say amen to our lives. May it be so. If you'd like to pray with someone about your next step, if you would like to talk with someone further about what it means to surrender, if you have something tonight and you came hoping to lay it at the cross, my friends, you can lay anything at that cross lay anything there but recognize that the one who hung on that cross for you is the one who walks with you and who takes that thing that you want to lay there with him and he uses it he forgives us of it he transforms it as he transforms us he even works it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so tonight, if, if you want to let go of something, then do that. But when you let go, do so so that you can take hold of him. Maybe tonight you come as young court did, is about to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessing it is at a young age to recognize that the greatest choice in your life is to lay your life down and to take up the new life that you find in Jesus Christ. Come, we've got extra clothes for you to change into if you didn't come prepared. Tonight, maybe you want to talk with someone about taking your next step 
You've already received Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, but you want to be part of this growing church family. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you because we need each other. We need each other to walk through this life together, to celebrate the high points and to remind and encourage each other when we're in the low. We would love to talk with you about your next step. There'll be guys at the next steps area in the back and I'll be up front to receive you. Come, come as we sing.